Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to see you. Um, I'd ask that you turn to the book of Mark, chapter 14, uh, where we'll be uh, today as we study God's Word together. We are uh, continuing in a series called Are You Serious? as we're looking at uh, various facets of the Christian faith uh, and the Christian uh, discipline to see, um, uh, just to assess who we are as a church, to assess how we are as uh, individuals. Uh, following Jesus together. So as we turn to Mark chapter 14 today, we're looking at the question of, are you serious about the Lord's Supper? Uh, So pray with me as we uh, get started in the word today. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I got a time to gather with your people, a time to gather as your people. Uh, Lord, a time to uh, worship you through singing, through prayer, through fellowship together. God, now through the proclamation of your word, your gospel, and, and Lord, later through communion, through the Lord's Supper. I God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us. We know that uh, your word is inspired uh, by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that by your spirit you would open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the gospel this morning. Lord, that you would uh, stir up our attention and affection to you. God, that we would be worshipers of you, that we would be growing together as a community of worshipers together, that you would convict us of our sin and give us confidence to repent and turn to you. And God, that you would shape us, transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, One after another, is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping the bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus gives us comfort and confidence. He changes us to be people of commitment and conviction. And this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is good news for us. As we look at this story today of Jesus ending his earthly ministry and uh, getting to a point 
uh, of a, a large religious feast in Jerusalem. He's celebrating uh, the Passover and therein teaches his disciples more about who he is and what he's done and the implications for them of, of their new identity, of their new uh, community together and the new mission. And this carries on in truth for us today. So I want us to see in this passage, I want to kind of set up the, the context of the story because we have to understand uh, what was going on in Jerusalem, what the significance of the Passover feast was all about so that we can understand how Jesus was fulfilling everything that Passover was pointing to so that we could, in a sense, enter in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples as he teaches who he is and what he's doing and why they're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and the profound cosmic significance that it brings for you and I today, 2,000 years later. See, Passover um, was a religious feast for the Jews to celebrate who God was and what he had done for them and the identity they had as God's people. If you read the book of Exodus, uh, toward the beginning of the Bible, you, you, you probably know the story. There was a time when God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and, and God set them free uh, using Moses and Aaron and, and amazing uh, miracles to free his people. We see that there were a series of um, plagues that God sent to, to show who he was and what he was doing. There was a, uh, one of them being the death of a firstborn son. And in Exodus chapter 12, we see that God instructs his people to slaughter a lamb and put blood on the doorpost so that when his spirit would come down uh, to kill the firstborn sons of Egypt, those who had blood on the doorpost would be passed over. That God in his grace and mercy would spare the people in that household who belonged to him, those who trusted him, those, those who followed God, would be spared. And if you read in Exodus 12, you see that's exactly what happened. It was a time for God's judgment to come down as well as God's grace to be shown. The feast would be one of remembrance signifying uh, who God was and his covenant faithfulness, his promises, his, his grace to his people. And so they would celebrate this for generations to come. Hundreds of years later, we see that Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast, to celebrate God's grace to his people, God's faithfulness, his love to his people, and for God's people to gather together and celebrate this new identity they have together, this new community they have together. And as they eat, they would proclaim, look how good God is. And look what he's done for us. And look how this has changed who we are and shaped everything about who we are. It was a wonderful time of celebration. In fact, uh, most records account that in the first century, within the walls of the city of Jerusalem, there would be an estimate of two million people. And over 250,000 lambs slaughtered for the feast. That's unbelievable. 250,000 lambs. That's more lambs than there are people in our city. That's how big of a feast this was. Two million people gathered together to celebrate God's goodness and to feast together, remembering who God is, what he's done, and the new identity and community formed because of that. So this tradition went on for hundreds of years. They would celebrate their past freedom, uh, being set free from slavery, and they would be looking forward to a future deliverance when God's kingdom would be fully realized on earth, and they would be set free once and for all from sin and from death and from oppression. 
During the first century, the Roman Empire uh, had set up, uh, you know, bases of operations. They had taken over this part of the world. And so the Roman Empire was very much involved in Israel and, and very much taxing the mess out of people and oppressing them. And um, it did not go well for that season. But in the midst of that, God's people gathered and said, let's remember who God is and what he's done for us. Let's remember who we are and what we are to do, and how we are to live, and let's look forward to know that this is not how it's always going to be, but God will come back and deliver us once and for all, and set us free, and set up his kingdom for all eternity. Two million people gather to celebrate that. And Jesus gathers with his disciples to teach them more about who he is, and how he is fulfilling those expectations of God's promises. That he is there to not only teach about it, but embody once and for all the one sacrificial lamb who once and for all would secure for eternity the identity and community of God's people. That's exciting. The Lord's Supper is a statement of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The Lord's Supper is a statement about who we are as Christians and who we are together as a community looking forward to his kingdom being realized here on earth. So over the next few minutes, I want us to look at a couple key words that are in this passage to kind of bring to light more about who Jesus is and what he's done. And if you are a Christian, it's a time for us to celebrate how our small story, your individual story, fits into this story that we celebrate together as a church and how our story as a church community uh, ties into the grand story of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. So if you're a Christian here, let's celebrate this today. And if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to hear about the story that you were invited to jump into. Okay? So let's look at this a little bit more. As we look at these four words, the body, the blood, the covenant, and the kingdom. Those are the four things I want us to look at today uh, in, in verses, mainly verses 22 to 25. We're going to look at the body, the blood, the covenant, and the kingdom. First, let's look at the body in verse 22. It says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. When we celebrate communion, we have bread before us, and, and as traditions have been, we, we celebrate this representing the body of Christ that was broken. And there's great significance to that. The body. You see, the body of Christ is God physically dwelling with his people. We know that Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully man. It's a mystery that we can't really wrap our heads around, but we have to trust in faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is 100% God, 100% man. He is God dwelling in human form in a body. Bread had great significance in the first century, both in the Roman Empire as well as in the Jewish Passover tradition. Bread was... Uh, a vital part of the Passover feast that two million people had gathered to celebrate together. You see, they celebrated uh, the lamb remembering God passing over them, but then Scripture tells us this was the feast of unleavened bread. A few verses back in verse 12. The feast of unleavened bread was a great significance. Like We, we see that, that God's people would slaughter a lamb and paint their doorposts with the blood, but... As they were leaving, they would have a feast where they would eat bread that was unleavened. 
because the yeast didn't have time to rise because of their hasty departure. And so they would eat this unleavened bread to celebrate uh, God releasing them and setting them free, uh, giving them deliverance from Egypt. It was an act of faith. It was an act of trust to say, look, we are going to eat this unleavened bread because we are so confident that God is setting us free so quickly. We're not going to let it bake for a few days and let the yeast rise. We're going to eat and get out of Dodge because we trust that God is setting us free right now. So bread had great significance, not only with the Passover celebration, but God's people spent 40 years in the book of Exodus uh, wandering the wilderness, and God would sustain them by sending the bread of heaven, manna, down for them to eat. It was an opportunity for God to show his faithfulness, taking care of his people. It was a time for God's people to humbly say, look, we're in the desert, man. How are we going to make some bread? And God said, I will provide for you. I will provide for you. I will provide. I'm providing for you. Look, I'm providing. Forty years of this. And they would eat it up. It was a time for God's people to learn, both physically and spiritually, to rely on God as their sustenance, as their fuel, as their life. We see that Jesus carries on to this theme in the first century, which just has amazing political implications because Rome, who, who was controlling that part of the world at the time, were taxing people 60, 70, 80, even 90% of people's income would be taxed from Rome and to the religious elite. And it was to the point that people didn't have enough food to live on. And so it was this great propaganda that, that Caesar would, would send bread trucks, essentially, into parts of, of his empire and, and walk in literally waving a banner saying, Trust in Caesar. Caesar is your deliverer. Caesar is your rescuer. Trust Caesar. And they would just toss out bread. And people would say, hey, Caesar, you know, because Caesar would give them bread. Great propaganda technique when people are starving to say, Trust in me and I'll give you bread. So into this scene, Jesus shows up starts teaching people. There's a couple instances where he'll teach 4,000, 5,000, and people are gathering around learning as Jesus is talking about the kingdom and, and how God loves them and grace and repentance and the kingdom is coming and he's here to deliver them. And people are like, you know what? It's great. We're a little hungry. And if you know the story, you know that just with a few loaves and a few fish, Jesus feeds thousands of people physically. I mean, it, was a, it was a miracle. It was a beautiful, gracious thing for the Lord to do because they were hungry. But it was moreover an opportunity for the people to see that Jesus is their sustenance. Jesus is their deliverer. Jesus is their life. And this applies for you and I today. We even know that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says we are to pray and thank God, give us this day our daily bread, an act of humble acceptance of God's provision for us. And then here we see Jesus sitting in the upper room celebrating the Feast of Passover in the midst of this context of feasting unleavened bread, trusting in God's deliverance in this midst of oppression where everybody's saying, trust Caesar, trust political people to provide for you. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, no, I will provide physically, yes, but spiritually your sustenance. And in the midst of this, Jesus sits in the upper room with his disciples, hands them bread, says, take this is my body. Friends, Jesus is our sustenance. He is our life. We know that the body of Christ was broken for us, just like bread is ripped in two. And because of that, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God for our sin 
and in turn gives us grace and freedom and sustenance. And in this we have comfort. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we look at the bread, we we first must look at the body, the body of Christ in which we have comfort. So I ask you to think about this. Where do you look for your sustenance? Whether it be physical? Do you look to, to Rome? I mean, seriously, do you look to political whatever for your sustenance? Do you look to your uh, money or your status? Spiritually, where do you go to look for your sustenance? Are you looking through different spiritual traditions or little you know, avenues of spirituality? Or are you looking to Christ? Because when Jesus takes the bread and says, this is my body, he is saying, trust me for your sustenance. And in this we have comfort. In the body of Christ we have comfort. Secondly, I want us to look at the blood. And verse 24 says this, He said to them, Take, um, actually let's go to verse 23, He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And He said to them, This is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Again, blood had great significance for the Passover. As I've already said, they would slaughter a lamb and paint the doorpost, signifying that they belonged to God. And so when God's Spirit would come over in Egypt during the time of the Exodus, it would come over and pass over those with blood on the doorpost who were identified as God's people. In fact, Exodus 12 says it best. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Later in the book of Isaiah, a few hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah writes this, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see, and I will be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered amongst with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So what we see happen here is in the context of Passover, we see that blood had great significance to set you free from the wrath of God and to identify you as belonging to God and his people. We see later in the book of Isaiah that, that one would come who once and for all would absorb that same wrath of God and identify people as belonging to God and part of God's people. And we know that to be Jesus because the book of Hebrews affirms Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But Jesus does this for us, as Romans 3.25 says, Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in him, his divine forbearance, he has passed over our former sins. So friends, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we tear the bread for the body of Christ in which we have comfort and we look at the wine and the juice that represents the blood of Christ, we find our hope and confidence. Because for those in the book of Exodus with the Passover, we're we're freaking out, man. I mean, when God says, my spirit's going to show up and kill the firstborn of every family that doesn't have blood on the doorpost, there's nowhere you can go to hide. That's scary. But trusting in God, they painted the doorpost with blood and said, we are going to rest and have confidence before the Lord 
that he is who he says he is, he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and that we belong to him. And this blood is a sign of that. So for you and I today, we find ourselves wrestling, perhaps, with fear. Fear in your present and the future, maybe. You're apprehensive of what's to come in your life or after you die. Maybe you're wrestling with guilt and shame from your past and you think, man, if I were to die today and stand before God, I would be ashamed of how I've lived. Or, man, I'm caught in a mess. I'm hoping nobody finds me out right now. I'm struggling with something and I hope nobody finds out. Maybe you're operating in guilt and shame. Maybe you're operating in fear and apprehension. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The good news is that in Christ, by His blood, we are forgiven from our past and we have faith for the present and hope for the future. It's good news, friends. I mean, no matter where you are here, I want us to assess. I mean, we're asking, are you serious about the Lord's Supper? When we come to this table in a few minutes to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us, I want us to truly assess where we are in the process. Are you, are you carrying your baggage from your past? Are you trying to atone for your sins by being a good moral religious person or, or a good humanitarian? And it's heartbreaking. I know some folks that are just so generous and they do so out of guilt and fear. <laughs> I just want to give everything away because I'm so ashamed of myself. Friends, the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ we are forgiven. We have hope. We do not find our hope in our religion or tradition or good works, but rather we find our hope in the blood of Christ. Friends, in Christ, by his blood, you are forgiven for the sins of your past. No matter how grievous, no matter how heinous, no matter how gross, you are forgiven. Those sins no longer keep you captive. Friends, the fears of that you struggle with in your present, no longer define you in Christ. I mean, in Christ, you are a new creation. You are set free from fear. In Christ, you need not worry about tomorrow or eternity. You have confidence and hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done by his blood for you. You have a new identity. That's why people painted their doorposts with blood. They were saying, we belong to God. In the same way, Jesus' blood covers us so that we are identified as belonging to God and his people. And this is good news. So just as the body of Christ gives us comfort, the blood of Christ gives us confidence. Thirdly, I want us to see this covenant. Because Jesus says here, as he says in verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Covenant is a strong word. It's an important word that uh, we must Never shy away from. Often we equate it to like a contract. Like you say, hey, I'm going to go buy a house. So you sign a contract, right? Uh, Covenant is different than a contract. It's more than a business uh, obligation. It's more than a business transaction. It is a relational thing that that binds people together. The, The closest thing we have is a marriage covenant. If you're married, you know that you say, hey, for in sickness and health, better or worse, rich or poor, I am committed to you no matter what happens. Even if you drop your end of the bargain, I'm here. That's what a covenant does. Here's the beauty of the covenant we have in Christ. As Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, he's saying, look, Jesus is bringing us into a relationship where he says, this thing's going to work, and if you drop the ball, which you will, I'm still here. That's what Jesus does by dying for us, shedding his blood. He's saying, look, I'm going to lay my life literally on the line for this relationship. And I'm not going anywhere. 
It's a beautiful thing. So as Jesus pours out the wine, as we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper here, culturally we wanted to give an option of wine or juice. We feel like the Bible gives us that freedom because this is a sign pointing us to Jesus. So if wine's an issue for you, use the juice bowl. If juice is an issue for you, use the wine bowl. Uh, It's just meant to point us to Jesus in whom we have comfort and confidence and hope because we look to Scripture as saying, look, the covenant that Jesus secures for us is is his work. So we look to him in confidence. Hebrews 9.15 says this, speaking of Jesus, says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. It's God's initiative, God's doing. And you and I together are God's new community together because of who Jesus is and what he's done for this. The result for us is that we have a commitment. If you're in a marriage covenant, you know that you make a covenant with the other person, you are committed to them, right? I mean, you can say, look, I'm going to commit myself to you, and you're going to commit yourself to me. Uh, We're in a covenant. That means if you drop the ball, I'm still committed to you. So the result for you and I that are in a covenant with Jesus, his initiative, his doing, is that we are committed to each other. I mean, if you were in the covenant with Christ, you have to be committed to the others who were in that covenant with you, right? Yeah? So the result of the covenant of Christ that we have together by his blood is we have a new identity, a new community together. We're committed not only to Christ, but to each other. And that's good news. So as we approach the Lord's Supper together and we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done, it's something that's a statement about Jesus, it's a statement about you and who you are, but it's a statement about us together. Sharing the joy of a covenant relationship as a family bonded by the blood of Christ. So we look at the body of Christ where we find our comfort. We look at the blood of Christ that gives us confidence. We look at the covenant of Christ that gives us commitment. And fourth and finally, I'll say this, we look at the kingdom of Christ. And we mustn't miss this. Verse 25, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Friends, if you look at the Gospels, and actually the whole of Scripture, it is one big kingdom story. The story of this king rescuing his wayward subjects to bring them back into his beautiful, perfect kingdom. That's the story right there. And you're in it. And it's awesome. What happens is Jesus is coming to live a perfect life, righteous, teaching about the kingdom, displaying evidence of the kingdom, dying, to rescue the subjects who had jumped the walls and fled away from his kingdom. He's saying, no, man, you need to get back in. You can't by yourself, so let me come get you. It's a paraphrase. It's not in here. And the book of Exodus tells us that the whole purpose of their redemption was that God was building Israel to be a kingdom of priests. The Passover was God setting his people free to go be a kingdom of priests. Exodus 19.6 says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So we see the whole point of God setting his people free was to say, Hey, you're free. Now come over here and now you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And we see that this is what Jesus secures for you and I today. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us, you are a chosen race, a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, that's the whole point, friends. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating that Jesus sets us free to become kingdom priests. That you were made holy. That we are made holy together as a kingdom. You're not made holy to be a holy individual. Holy individuals are no fun unless you're Jesus. Actually, holy individuals are kind of a pain. Because they're like, look how holy we are. Sinner. And if that's you today, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Don't leave. Right? The whole point of Jesus freeing us is that we would be a holy, uh, well, he says a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. Not a person or a couple persons, but a people together. A people for his own possession, I like this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love this. I mean, Jesus is missional, right? He's saying, look, you're going to come to the table to celebrate who I am and what I've done, setting you free from sin, from fear, from shame. I'm giving you a new identity. I'm giving you hope for eternity. And also, you've got a mission to do, man. You've got a mission, lady. We have a mission, people. Jesus sets us free to be kingdom priests. I mean, if you were chosen, the reason you have been chosen is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. If you were a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation. You've got to remember you belong to him. You are a, we, are, we are a people for his own possession. We belong to him. You don't belong to me. I don't belong to you. We belong together, and we belong together by Jesus to God. And that purpose that we have together is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why I get excited. This is honestly why we said we should, we should just start hanging out and start reading and preaching this and we're going to start worshiping together and eating this and, oh, this is called a church. Okay, let's just do that. That's how this church started, really. We're just like, hey, we like the Bible. We want to do this. We want to be that. Jesus is doing it. Well, here we are. One Road Elementary School. Praise the Lord. We can meet here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. And that's what we do in word when we gather together. It's what we do in song when we gather together. It's what we do when we come to the table and rip the bread and dip it in the wine or juice. We are proclaiming to one another the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, when you come up here today, if you're up here by yourself dipping it, that's awesome. You're proclaiming it to yourself and you're proclaiming it to everybody around you. If you come up with your family, you are proclaiming it to others in your family. You are proclaiming it to everyone in this room that Jesus has called us together out of darkness into his marvelous light because he is a good God who by his broken body gives us comfort by his shed blood gives us confidence and by the covenant that he brings us into gives us a commitment to him and to each other and by the kingdom that he has brought us into gives us a great conviction to proclaim his goodness man and we do that in so many ways if you are married you can proclaim it to your spouse on a daily basis like my, my awesome wife brought the word to me the other day she's just like hey you're forgetting the gospel. 
Like, no, no, I'm not a preacher, man. She's like, there you go. Hmm? I've studied and said, so, hmm? I mean, the second you start dropping drop your resume, instead of saying, Jesus rescued me. I mean, seriously, that's what had happened. I was like, hey, man, I'm a pastor of a church. You know, you're finding your identity and security in your job. Not Jesus. You need to be reminded of the gospel. Son. Oh, she brought it, and it was beautiful. Thank you, wife. So if you are married, you have that opportunity to bring the word to your spouse constantly. Men to your wives, women to your husbands. If you have children, you have that great, great joy and privilege. I mean, I just, I can't wait. Over the, in a few weeks, I'm going to just get the opportunity to share with you what God is doing in the lives of my children. You have a great opportunity to share, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, and to each other in this church. It's the great joy of the gospel as we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, not each other, man. Thank God. So as we uh, wrap it up together, I'll say this. We look at the blood, body, and covenant and kingdom of Christ And we know that it's the body of Christ that gives us comfort. It's the blood of Christ that gives us confidence. It's the covenant of Christ that gives us commitment. And it's the kingdom of Christ that gives us conviction. And this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday here at Redemption Church. Because we uh, want to look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, not our We don't look to our tradition. We don't look to our education or to our style or anything else. We look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, friends, we have this great opportunity now as we celebrate the new identity we have together, the new community we are as a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom priests together because of Jesus. Um, I want us to to pause. um, And as we move into the the part of worship where we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want us to just pause for a moment and kind of assess our own hearts. Uh, Right where you are personally, um, the gospel is a call for us to repent and believe. Uh, Believe is relational trust in Jesus. That's what it is. I have an ongoing relational trust of who Jesus is, what he's done for you. All right, repentance means turning away from whatever else you're looking at, whether it be something bad like your sin or whether it be something good like your, your job. Like, you know, me, I was in rebellion the other day when I looked to my job as my identity and security. I needed to repent and look to Jesus. And so this is an opportunity for all of us to repent and believe. If you are a Christian, we are going to invite you, no matter what church you may be a part of, if you are a believer in Christ, we want you to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper together so that we together indeed in can, in action, can proclaim the excellencies of Christ to each other. So we invite you to do that. I would say scripture reminds us that we need to uh, keep our souls in check before the Lord. If there is unrepentant sin in your heart, bring it to Jesus. Trust him and repent before you come to the table. And if you need to talk with somebody about it, come talk to us. Secondly, if you are not a Christian, uh, we would ask that, that you maybe just sit where you are and, um, and think about this because uh, this is, uh, uh, the Lord's Supper is something that uh, is a celebration for Christians uh, who, who are in the covenant of Christ uh, by his blood. And if you're not there, we would ask that you just um, sit where you are. Nobody's going to judge you, man. I mean, we, we love you. We just, we just want you to uh, let the gospel soak in in a different way uh, for this next part of the service. And if you want to talk to me, come grab me, and I would love to tell you more about how Jesus can and will rescue you and change you.
Okay, uh, let me pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. And God, I thank you for um, your perfect life, Jesus, and your death, your broken body, your shed blood. Thank you that uh, because of who you are and what you've done, you bring us into a new uh, covenant community in your kingdom. And God, that uh, because of who you are and what you've done, you uh, give us the great privilege to proclaim your excellencies. God, may we proclaim your excellencies as a covenant community together in word and in deed. May we, as we gather, uh, have our lives saturated by your word. May our lives be changed by your gospel. Uh, God, may we be quick to repent of sin and idols and functional saviors and false securities. God, even the good things that you give us to find joy and fun in, I mean, they can become idols for us. And uh, God, as I even experienced this week, Lord, thank you that by your grace we may repent and turn to you and find our identity and security in Jesus. So Lord, now as we enter a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, God, for those who will come forward and tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or juice and eat. Uh, God, may we do so in remembrance of you, who you are and what you've done. May your Holy Spirit move us to repentance and faith. May your Holy Spirit bind us together as a covenant community of kingdom priests. May we be worshipers full of joy and full of conviction to go out from this place and proclaim your excellencies to a lost and dying world and to a world so easily swayed God, I ask that you do this for your glory, for our joy. In Christ's name, amen.